Welcome back this week to Real Talk RC Podcast, episode 15, and man, I've got a good one for you today. Get ready to take a ride with this special guest. Sit down, grip your remotes tight, put your seatbelt on, and everybody help me welcome in Mr. Adam Drake. How's it going? Man, I'm I'm doing real good. I've been floating away here lately. It's rained for about three weeks solid. And, yeah, uh, that's crazy. We're we're pretty fortunate out here. We do get some rain, but nothing like the East Coast. Well, how you uh, how's the recouping coming from the DNC? That's good. It was it was obviously a, a pretty tiring week, and the week after a major race like that, just kind of cleaning up, getting caught up, emails and stuff like that is is a little bit tiring. But we didn't have anything the immediately the weekend following we did go to the track and practice a little bit the one day but um it was kind of nice not having to go straight into another race you know the the following weekend so made made recovering a little bit easier oh absolutely uh, well the biggest race here i'm obviously you know from alabama and every year we have the sic and ams and those two um being a being a heart patient surgery uh you know person myself those races really wear me out yeah i I think it doesn't matter who you are those races will wear you out any (laughs) any of the major races especially you know day after day and there's five to six hundred entries it uh it definitely makes for a long day but they're also really enjoyable well one one question about dnc that i had in watching it on tv that was the first time for me to really get to see that kind of coverage was i noticed the track which they were just talked about it on and on and on uh, how much it was getting so much character in such the big ruts where do you go on a car setup that to really you may not can ever get it fully but where do you go to adjust for that I mean, we we changed quite a bit on our cars from where we started to where we ended up. But it, I think the biggest thing on a track like that or the, when the conditions get like that, the biggest thing is just trying to watch races, trying to find not necessarily like the best line, because I don't know that there is a best line, but just trying to find better lines or lines that are easier to to kind of hit and be a little bit more consistent. But um, we we were kind of all over the map. Like we we started with our cars with higher roll centers and softer springs, and we actually lowered the roll centers, went a little bit stiffer on the springs. Um, with the Flashpoint MIP bypass pistons, we sped up the rebound a little bit just to help kind of keep the tires on the ground, and then it also just helps allow by the tires staying on the ground. It allows the car to kind of drive forward more instead of stepping out from side to side. Um, but again, I think the biggest thing is just trying to get in your rhythm, trying to miss the the really treacherous or major, you know, sharp, abrupt holes, and being really, really smooth, accelerating and uh, letting off the throttle. Because the way DNC got, like, if you would be really abrupt, like decelerating or letting off going into the corner it's you know it's naturally transferring that weight off throttle 
And if you let off really violent, it just allows the front end to grab, rear end to buck, and next thing you know, you're you're flying across the track. Absolutely. Well, being a Mugen driver myself here, we I follow all the videos that really, really helps. Um, all the you know tutorial videos you do really helps. And here at my local club track, it's been a real huge Mugen growth here in the last month. We've went from two or three of us, you know, consistent stay Mugen to probably now we have about eight to ten. And the, oh, awesome. the latter six of them are, are newer, so we're really trying to help those guys, and I turn them on to your videos. But the, the questions that I have got from them is when, like, we send them the setup sheet or whatever, and they come ask me, well, like – you know, like if Flowwood, you you sent me personally the setup from Flowwood, so I should you know send it to them because our track is very similar to Flowwood. We're actually smaller, but it's about the same dirt, same type of track. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, let's start here and go from there. But their question yeah. then is, on the setup sheet from Flowwood, is that kind of the beginning of the weekend? Or is it the that's the main the final setup? Does it does it yeah, you know how far does it change? Um, I mean, typically I always start with just kind of my standard setup, and then when I fill out a setup sheet from a race, it's always where I ended up or where I felt the car was the best. Like if I made some changes going into the final, and then after the final, I'm like, man, it was better in qualifying then I'll maybe fill out the setup sheet for qualifying. But typically you're working on the setup throughout the, the weekend and then the, the setup sheet you fill out is what you ended up running in the final. Right. Okay. And one other uh, kind of question really just not really to the setup sheets, but I've gotten a lot of the guys want to instantly run out and, and get like the ceramic bearings and all. And so there's a running – there's kind of a debate at the track on ceramic bearings if it is good for the entire car or mainly just the drive line. Like a couple of guys have said it's not good to run them out toward the you know the wheel bearings. But then you got other guys that say, Well, I've ran them forever and you know, so we've heard, we've got a debate there both ways. Yeah, I mean I guess it's just whatever you've had the best luck with. I don't I don't run any ceramic bearings in my car. Like I obviously run ceramic engine bearings. But in my car I just run either the stock Mugen bearings um, for like the pinion and then the larger wheel bearing. And then the rest of the bearings in the car are the Mugen NMB bearings. And then we also sometimes like if it's a smaller race or just I don't feel like doing the bearing maintenance and cleaning everything. Um, I'll just run either the ProTech or Avid, just standard steel bearings because they're inexpensive and, you know, you get a couple of races out of them and you can just go ahead and replace them. But, I mean, there are a lot of guys that do run ceramic bearings and I just don't really think that there's, there's like a, a massive, you know, it's not like you're going to gain two minutes of runtime running ceramic bearings. I mean, they're lighter. They are a little bit more durable, but for me, like, I would rather kind of put fresh bearings in and just know, hey, these don't have a ton of time on them 
versus, you know, I travel and I go to so many races that it's like I'm constantly rebuilding my car and I don't want to go to a race with a set of bearings that has been in my car all year long. Um, even though like the NMB bearings last a really, really long time and I can probably get five or six months out of them. I kind of just know the maintenance schedule and my routine with them and how long they last. So if you know that same maintenance and routine with the ceramic bearings, I think it's fine to run um, pretty much throughout the car if, if it works well for you. Um, but I, I just run the Mugen NMB bearings most of the time. Yeah. Well, getting over to like all the videos and, and all the work um, that you put in and, and all the time and, and just the, you know, the unending support and help that you give on the track, off the track, where do you, where do you feel that love of RC come from? What, is there a certain passion, like a certain area or, I mean, I, hey, I'm the same as you, man, I eat, breathe, sleep around the clock. It's RC at my house. My wife said, I should have, you should have married the car. Yeah. But yeah, you know, go ahead. I was just going to say it, you know, in, in your drive is, is probably 10 times what, what mine is on who you help, how much you do and all the testing and, the, and the coming up with new product and just, uh, the racing just on and on and on just, man, it, it's second to none. Yeah. I mean, we're all different, you know, like, um, I, people ask me all the time, like, man, do you get burned out? And I think I'm just different than most people. Like in that sense, like, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, you go to, to a long race, you're, you don't get much sleep. The days are super long and, like where other people would be burned out and man, I'm not touching anything for two weeks. Like for me, it's like, I just need a good night's sleep. You know, if I may take a, a day or two off from, you know, wrenching and rebuilding stuff, but for the most part, I get a good night's sleep and I'm right back at it again. And part of it is because I have a lot on my plate. You know, I am, I am trying to, to balance and, and do stuff. Mugen, OS, Proline, Patab, you know, all my sponsors. But it's also because I love to do it. Like, I want to be more hands-on. I want to understand why things work the way that they do and, and, you know, really have some involvement to try to make all the products that I run better. So it's, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think we're all different. You know, some guys just, want to focus on racing and, and go as fast as they can and and not really worry about why their car is good at some races or not so good at others. But for me, I just, I really like being involved and, and um, you know, I like the learning and, and also then applying what you learn during testing uh, to racing. Well, I'm going <clears> to <throat> turn it over to you about, the way you've helped us is uh, most everybody of my listeners that are local have known we were the recipients of the A-Main Adam Drake built MBX-8 Nitro Buggy. Uh, my son won that. And several people, you know, I talked to, said, man, hit him up and just, you know, ask him, you know, at first we got it, it, it. We had came out of the six straight to the eight, so we bypassed the seven. 
And yeah. my, I guess my son was so used to the six when he got the eight. Just whoa, it was so much different. Uh, it, and Rhonda touched on it. A lot of people don't like change. They, you know, they want the change, but then when they get it, they kind of take a step back. Wait a minute, the, something's wrong here. And he, my son was exactly that. He, he said, "Well, it don't drive like the six. Something's wrong." And I said, "Well, wait." We just got it. First time on the track. And so several of the guys at the track was, you know, just hit up Adam here. I said, oh, man, I'm a little old nobody. You know, he's he's a pro, and he's ten times, you know, busy that he won't get back, will he? And they said, yeah, just shoot him a message. And within, like, 30 minutes, what I asked and told you that we had won the car, here it came, and it it blew my mind, and you've helped it since then. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, nowadays it's 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 much different than it was before. You know, before it's like if you wanted any information, you had to kind of wait till a magazine came in the mail and to see what other guys were running and, and using and stuff like that. Nowadays, you know, it's, it's so much easier to be connected. And um, to me, I just – I didn't have – people there to kind of help or support in, in my very early days. Like obviously I did once, once I got more serious about it and was racing more, but I think now because of just the way things are and, and technology and the internet and stuff like that, it's, I feel it's just kind of, you know, I guess doing my part or trying to give back to help people, um, you know, especially the people that are, are running and supporting the products that I run, you know, that's what they're going to have the, the most questions on or you know someone's not gonna message me and ask me a question about a hot bodies car because i don't run a hot bodies car so <laughs> um you know i just feel like if you know if someone's got questions about any of the products that i use you know i'm just i just do my due diligence to to try to help out and and give back well i know all my all my uh, training and learning came from the early days of radio control car action uh, yeah, we did. We didn't have the internet back then. We didn't even have cell phones when I started. So everything was out yeah. of the magazine. Yeah, and I remember, like, at a really young age, like, I started traveling to races, um, you know, just doing it as a hobby. This was before I was sponsored or anything, anything like that. And, I mean, I remember a, a very specific moment. I was at the the Roar Truck Nationals in Detroit, Michigan, or Grand Rapids, Michigan. And, again, I'm just a young kid, you know, saving every bit of money I've got to, to go and attend this race. And I get to see all these top guys, and I'm all excited. And I had a problem with uh, the shocks on my truck, and I went to, a you know, one of the, the main guys at, at a company, and, asked him for help and he was just a total jerk to me you know it was just kind of like man i don't have time for you kid and that kind of always like i don't know stuck with me a little bit like you know i, I don't want to ever be that guy i don't want to ever have an impression on someone in a negative way that again you know it's it's been i don't know almost 30 years and i still remember it like it was yesterday so and then I've also had experiences, you know, around that same time period where I was, again, super young at the at the races and 
asked other people questions, and they were super helpful. They maybe gave me their one-run tires. Like, and again, to this day, I still appreciate that person, you know, or, or those people who are willing to do that. So it's it's something that I think a lot of times people who are trying to improve or trying to, you know, get noticed by companies, they kind of overlook. Like, they think that they've got to win at all costs. And, of course, it's, it's a competition. We, we're trying to do everything that we can to win. But a lot of times when we go to these races, if you ask someone six months after the race, who won such and such race, people aren't going to remember. Yeah, can't, and, can't tell you. <laughs> yeah, but if you stop and you spend five minutes and talk with someone and you help them with their car, you tune an engine or help with a setup, like they're going to remember that the rest of their life. And to me, that's, again, it's, I have experience on both sides of it where people have had kind of a negative impact and people have had a good impact when I was young and, and just coming up racing. And I just try my best to, to not give anyone a negative impact. And I don't want people to think, you know, like, man, I met Adam at such and such race and he didn't give me the time of day. You know, I just, that's, that's not who I am. And I just, uh, you know, try to try to do the best that I can. Man, I think the biggest issue we have with our local club racing is, which is probably been as far back as I can remember is the good old problem of corner marshalling. You know, and everybody, yeah. everybody loves to, to, you know, when they race the electrics, it seems like they're not no hunky dory to just run out there. They're still a little bit slow, but it's when nitro comes, and they know well. Here's a twenty minute, thirty minute main, forty five minute. If you're looking around, going well, the last race was okay. Pro e buggy, there was ten in that. You're looking around, going there's two guys on the track. Where's and these is pro buggy, so these guys are not new. They've been in it a while. You know. Where's my corner marshals? And it's every week. Yeah, and it's. I mean, it's a bummer. It's you know, a lot of guys. You know, oh, it's not fair. You know, I just I ran my electric main. Now I have to marshal nitro. But unfortunately, it's just part of it. You know, sometimes you don't you don't marshal equal to you know what your race time was. But um, at the end of the day, it's part of it, and it's kind of a bummer because it just holds up the program for everyone. And, um, and again, it's, that's your responsibility. You know, that's what you do. You run your race and then you immediately turn marshal. Absolutely. Well, let's jump on into the eight then, like I say, which is, which is where it really tied me over to you is winning, winning that one, which we were running Mugen anyway, but that just really, I mean, my son, he's 14 now. And that was like a dream come true. Uh, for him and us to win that and just kind of wanted to get a few questions on you on that car what going from which the 7r and the r eco did at the latter part go to the high traction diffs what is the biggest difference from the regular the standard diff earlier to move over to the high traction diff like what i mean is on the seven R and, and the six, we would run like a five seven three diff setup. Well, when you go to the high traction, 
it seems like well, you know, when we got the car, it was like five five two. It was lower, and it didn't feel. I mean, to me, when I drove it, it felt planted. But of course, my son, being fourteen, and the video gamer he is, he he gets that little drifting kind of style. So when the car is planted, he almost don't. That's what he didn't like about it. And I'm going. We all beg for traction, and he's wanting it to take it out of it. So yeah, the the big the big difference between the dip. Well, there's there's a lot of differences, but the the couple big differences with the HT diff is it's a larger diff, so it it holds a larger volume of fluid, and then the gear ratio inside is different. So instead of a ten eighteen. It's now a 10-20 ratio between the um, sun gears and the planetary gears. And then the gears are also a lot larger. So when you have a larger gear or more piece to push more fluid, it, it basically just makes the diffs, like the standard diffs, would have like a similar feeling or initial breakaway, but because the gears were smaller, the dip would almost feel like it kind of softens or almost like if you had a slipper clutch, like the slipper gets looser. Where with the HT diffs, that breakaway and then the resistance that it has while it's continuing to push the fluid because it's a larger surface that's pushing and it's more fluid, it holds a more consistent tension from initial breakaway to when the when the car is kind of spooling up or, or diffing out, which ends up being more consistent in longer runs. It's not as hard on the diff fluid, so you won't kind of smoke or burn the fluid as, as quick. Um, but to have a similar feel on the track, you would need to run lighter fluid with the HT diffs compared to the standard Mugen diffs. Right. Awesome. Well, also moving on, like I've noticed the 6 or the 7 uh, in the manual, like the rear hubs are mounted in the upper hole, you know, out on the A-arm to where the 8 is in the lower hole. And kind of watching some of your videos on pin, you know, pin replace, pin placement, which way you would want it, according to what style track i thought that was i didn't know if like you know when a new car comes out is it more it's definitely up to date but it's it's you know when it was changed like that i thought well then if i'm still running this same track and i swapped that hole and the other one worked better on this track did that just throw me off yeah i mean it's i think just kind of you know, setups evolve, and sometimes your setup has to change due to other things that may be changed on the vehicle. But um, especially when it's like the manual or kit setup, it, it's really difficult because the manuals take a really long time to produce. And a lot of times you have to have the kit setup ready for the manual well before the cars ready to go in the box. So you're, you're trying to just pick what is a, a pretty neutral baseline. And again, things evolve. So the kit setup's always kind of a good, safe 
or very conservative setup that you can always go back to, but um, that you know that's why we fill out setups at every race, though, because things constantly change and evolve, and different track conditions and and things like that. So, I mean, even with the eight, like Robert in Europe, he a lot of times runs the upper hole, but for us here in the U.S., we pretty much always run the lower hole, and it's it's just a different preference and and maybe even for just you know, slightly different track conditions. Right. Well, I'm, I ain't going to lie. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've tried both ways, and I kind of let him go out and run it and see which one he likes. And, and, uh, but in the early part when we were really, you know, testing and tuning, it's, man, I think we've, we just moved everything on the track. Well, then really sitting down with some of the other upper-end guys at the track, they're going, in our opinion, you're moving the car so much, it, everything on the car, you don't even have enough time to realize what it done or let him, let him get the feel of it. But we were trying to move, we were moving one thing at a time, but it's like we would do one, then another, then another. And they said, you're not giving it time to really see what's going on. Uh, I know that's always been big said is just move one thing at a time so you know what it done. In. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's important for, for people, though, to kind of run through and go through as many changes as possible. Like, I understand that, you know, sometimes you got to just give something a little bit of time, but especially, I think, with younger people, like, if you give them enough time to just drive it, they're just going to get comfortable with it anyway. To them, it's, you know, it's like playing a video game. Like, you don't when you're playing a video game, you don't go like, oh, man, it's understeering. You know, like, you just deal with it, and you just turn turn earlier. So I think, like, especially in 8th scale, you don't have to get really crazy setup-wise. It's, it's more of a comfort, and when you're comfortable, you can then push harder, and the lap times will kind of come. Like, in 10th scale – a lot of times you have to fine tune and make changes every run because of the changing track conditions to gain that little bit of extra speed where in eight scale, you just kind of got to get up on the wheel. And if you're comfortable, you can push it harder and the lap times will come. But I think it's good. Like on practice days, I mean, I, I know that's, that's where I learned the majority of, kind of the fundamentals of a car and, and what it does is I, I was, I used to go to the track all the time. I mean, I still go to the track all the time, but I used to go to the track all the time, like when I was younger and literally just change stuff and just make notes mentally and in my notebook and of just what stuff does. And cause the thing is, is you can, you can ask people questions and say, Hey, if I raise the upper arm, what does it do? Or if I move my hubs forward, what does it do? But you have to kind of know what it does for yourself also. You know, we we all drive a bit different. We all interpret things a little bit different. And, you know, you don't want to go crazy and make tons of changes, you know, throughout like a race or on race days. But on practice days, you know, just so you kind of know, like if your car has a certain feel that you don't like, you can kind of – think back to those practice days and go like, man, well, when I made this change, 
it went the direction that I feel my car needs to go now. And then on the race days, the changes that you are making, you're more confident in those changes because you actually know and understand what they do instead of just kind of going at it blind, going like, oh, man, well, such and such, he's running his hubs here, so I'm going to just change it because his car looks good. You know, you, you want to make changes that you're confident and you're comfortable making because you've already experienced it during practice. I think you just described my son 100% to a T. He, we, like I say, we started at the track and asking kind of what's everybody running and, and, um, when we were new there and of course you, if you ask 10 people, you've got 10 setups. So finally, that's when we said, okay, we're just going to try and hit the one that, because two guys would say 10, 10, 7, and then you'd hear 5, 7, 3, and then I heard 15, 7, 15. I'm going, all of these are so far apart. Which one do you pick? So the only thing to do is try them and figure out that, nope, didn't like that one. Let's go with this one. Yeah. So, and he, when you said, he drives so much better and faster when you just make the car comfortable. And when I drive it, being a little more experienced, I say, I can't even drive it. it it's it's looser, like he likes that little drifty kind of, little little freer, and, and I'm all over the place. But when we go back to the other setup, then I can drive it. He can't drive it. So yeah. we're, we're totally different. Yeah. and And that's where it's, like, difficult – you know, like like we have like a, a tuning guide at Mugen. I think X-Ray has like a tuning guide. You know, a bunch of companies put put them out, but there's no real like real good solid like tuning book or even really good tuning guide for that matter. And it's because again, we all interpret things a little bit different. Like to like you say that you know his car's loose, and he says you know, like he wants it even looser yet, or he wants more steering. So um, it's, it's really hard. And not only that, different cars react different. And depending on like how your rear end setup is, a change that you make to the front end may have a different impact or slightly, um, you know, from someone who has a completely different rear end setup and they make that same front end change that you have. So it's really difficult to have a just set in stone tuning guide that if you do this, it always gives you more steering, or if you do this, it always gives you more traction. And again, that's where I think it's really important, like to, to spend time on practice days, making changes so that you know, and you understand what those changes do for yourself so that you can then use that knowledge when it when it matters you know in race conditions absolutely so we have two or three guys here that we pretty much kind of the mugen team you know our track get the techno guys over here and the mugen over here and so we all kind of compare notes and and two or three of them will try one setup and two or three will try another and then we all compare in the middle and the only problem with that to comparing the notes is even the two or three that has the same setup the car is not handling the same because their trigger fingers are different. Yeah. One, one's heavy on lead foot, and one of them is babying it around the track. 
So yeah, it's not even it's not even the same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Plus, our track is really like, um, you know how you know I won't call Flowwood small, but compared to like AMS or something, it's to us it's small. Well, our track is smaller than Flowwood. If you took their pit area in the driver's stand and set it on the track, whatever's left, that's our track. Yeah, it's indoor, but it in very pat. The dirt's almost the exact same, but it is super small, super tight, and it's it's all rhythm. Like you literally have to have that timing to brake turn, gas brake turn. You know, it's just yeah. it, it's just different. Yeah, I mean it's you know all tracks all, they're different, and that's where. You know, that's why the cars have so many adjustments, so you can kind of fine-tune them for the different track conditions and, you know, find what you like for yourself. Well, it even goes, in my opinion, further on to the tire. Like, two guys will agree they like the same tire if they run if they run the buckshot or, or hole shot or whatever. One guy swears by this compound, I don't like that one, and the other one goes, well, no, when I run that compound, I traction roll. I have to back up to a harder compound, so it, it it's just so many variables there. It, it is just literally almost you have to find that setup. In my opinion, you have to find your setup. They yeah. they all. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can always lean on other people, you know, like especially if you're lost, but or to just kind of get a baseline, especially if it's like a track or conditions that you're not comfortable with, but. Um, you know, ultimately, if you can kind of spend the time and do the work to, to find what you like for yourself um, in the long run or, you know, trying to go the different tracks, it's going to be really beneficial being able to kind of tune and dial your car in quicker if, you, if you're comfortable with it. I've, I agree, too, on the, like the manual you were saying, the Mugen has their little setup manual. So I download it to the phone, get to the track, and... Whatever the car's doing that day, Dad, I don't like this. I said, okay, let me read through here and see. I'm going to dial it in right right to what this manual says. And he'll say, well, I, I have no steering coming into the turn. I said, okay, let me look through here. Boop, boop, boop. And, I, and when I read it, what it says to do to fix the car, to give it that, I do it, it's right the opposite. And then I look back going, wait a minute, am I? I mean, I'm decently educated. I'm re I'm going. This is what it says, but it's it is not relating to the car. So, it somebody else go. Well, no, that's not the way I read it. it. Like this, so we go the other way, and then it worked. And I go, well, how do I, how do I read that backwards like that? And so, one of my earlier podcasts was uh, Cole Caston. I know he, I think he got to run with you over in the worlds a year or two ago. Yep. He yeah. he is from our home track. He he no longer lives there now. He's in Georgia, but he he came out of the warehouse, and so I you know talked to him a lot and his dad Jeremy. And so on the podcast, we talked about that very thing: reading and interpreting and whatever. And it'll tell you to raise lower, you know, roll center or lower. And so I said, "What are we missing here?" for the average guy to read that and just get it all wrong 
and it would say like on your rear links to re, you know if this is going wrong raise the roll center he's he told me and kind of wanted to get your opinion if, if this is true we've done it and it, it worked for us he said well to raise roll center you lower the link so see a lot Correct. of people would get that backwards and they go well raise they think raise roll center they raise the link which some of them did and go well that was yeah no you raise the link, you're lowering the roll center. Okay, so... I mean, I think the big thing is, I think a lot of guys, they get too caught up in, especially with roll center, in like, this is what roll center does, and, and trying to explain it. And it's like, man, just go to the track and run it in the highest hole, come in, run and it, put in, lower it in the lowest hole, hole. And, and find out for yourself... Like, again, you don't have to confuse yourself or, like, um, you know, basically, like, over-engineer what you're doing. Like, just just try it for yourself. Um, and – but the, the other thing is, is, again, like, depending on the rest of your setup, sometimes when you raise the link, it may have a little bit different effect than – if the rest of your setup is completely different. So, um, well, in other words, if you know, that if your anti squad or some, or, you know, your kick up or something is out of whack, it's going to throw that off as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I think a lot of times like guys, they, it's like, they almost want to, you know, tell tell everyone like they're this setup master and they know everything. And it's like, they try to explain it and it's like, it almost just confuses people. Um, and, and that's where, I mean, it's tough because not everyone has the ability to just go to a track and practice and try stuff, but, um, you know, either talk with and try to get guidance from someone that you trust and someone that seems to have a, you know, a good handle on setting their car up, um, or just do it yourself. Um, you know, just try it and, Again, if you just go from the very highest hole to the very lowest hole, there's going to be some things that it does way better and some things that it does way worse. And then you just kind of put that in your notebook or, or mentally, you know, put that in your head and, and remember that, oh, yeah, my car, when I went all the way up, it did this and I liked it. So the next time you're at a track and you're in the lower hole, maybe you go to the middle and, and kind of split the difference. Right. Oh man, we've we've been doing that here lately. I just hadn't got all the tweaks that we've, you know, uh, very limited on runtime here at the track. So we, even when we do go on a practice day, we really try to move things around and try and and check out different tires and compounds and see how how all that relates. And uh, have had some really good good success. Uh, just finally here lately, moved over to the. Uh, vrp pistons i had got access to a couple of those but now i want to move over the more i'm reading i'm liking the mip ones that like the bypass that you run i'm gonna try those next yeah the nice the really nice thing with the mip um bypass pistons is just you can fine tune them quite a bit more than you can any other kind of bypass style piston um 
because you can actually change the valves and and things like that. But well, you can even stack it, them too, correct? Yeah, you can you can stack them. You can change the valves. Um, so it's 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 really nice to be able to fine tune it. I mean, for some guys. It may just confuse them, it may blow their mind a little bit, where they're just like, "Man, I don't, I don't know which direction to go." Um, but again, like, I mean, when I started, so th- that was a project that, like, I had talked with MIP about with uh, Brandon Upshaw like years ago. So Brandon and I both used to work at Horizon together, we had a really good relationship, and. They were doing some of the bypass stuff for 10th scale and also for 5th scale. And so I had talked to them and said, hey, you know, let's let's test this in 8th scale. And they were just, they were into it, but they were, it was just something always came up. Either I was busy, they were busy, whatever. But when we finally got down to it and we were able to go to the track and test, it was on a pretty bumpy track. And, you know, Brandon's like, well, where do you want to start? And I'm like, I just want to take the setup that I'm currently running, put the MIP pistons in, but with the thickest valves possible so that I can basically duplicate what I'm currently running just to make sure, you know, because it was their pistons, you know, where they drilled a little different or whatever. So we started there and then I was like, well, let's go extreme. Let's let's throw the thinnest valves in possible. You know, again, just like when kind of testing, um, you know, roll centers or camera links, like, because this was all new to me. So I'm like, let's go from one extreme to the other, and then we'll work our way to, to kind of that happy medium or what we like. So immediately when we went to the super thin valves, it was crazy because the car still landed really plush. It, it had the same bottoming resistance that it did before, but you could just, you could see the tires moving super fast. So it was almost like the pistons fell off. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this is a little crazy. I think we went too far, but it was just really cool to, for it to be so noticeable. And then from there we were able to kind of fine tune and play with different valves and, um, what I found or what I typically like is I pretty much always run a little bit thicker valve in the front, so a little bit slower rebound in the front gives it a little bit more on-power steering, and that's just the balance that I like, where with some of the other pistons, because you can't change or stack the valves, you're kind of just you're stuck with whatever the valve is is what it is, and maybe that's good for the vehicle you run or the conditions or, or, you know, just what you like. But with the MIP stuff, like I said, you can, you can stack and put the, the brown or the thickest valve and basically shut off the bypass to where you're just back to running a standard piston without actually changing to a standard piston. So it's, it's really cool that you're able to kind of fine tune for all the different track conditions and, it's uh, it's something that I, I actually tune quite a bit on my car. And do are you currently running the Mugen oils or the Flashpoint or what are you running? I run the... Mugen dip oils and Flashpoint shock oil. Right. Oh. All right. Definitely. Well, Amen. Here comes my order. 
<laughs> I go ahead and add them on there because I, I had done the VRPs, but I was eyeing those. The only reason I didn't get the MIP to begin with, they were out of stock the day I was going to order. And I wanted something other than the Mugen pist- the stock piston. Yeah. Uh, we were ha- was running the eight hole and was having a big problem of bottoming out. So I wanted to either drop down to the six or five hole, and I ended up on the five. And that helped tremendously, but it's, I just had that doubt. Like, man, I just keep reading MIP is just the way all the Mugen forms are MIP, MIP, MIP. So I'm like, I wish I'd have got those. Yeah, and again, the the nice thing with them is you can you can run that. Like, if there's certain track conditions where you think just the standard Mugen pistons work the best, you can keep the MIP pistons in, slap the brown valve on top, and that valve is thick enough that the bypass flap isn't able to, to function like it, it should when you're using it without having to have a bunch of different pistons in your box. Yes, you, you have to have kind of the valve set, but it just makes it really nice and easy to kind of have one piston, but it's super tunable where you can make it feel as if you have multiple different pistons in your box. Right. All right. Well, I did receive uh, a goodie box in the mail today from none other than Rhonda. I have some horsepower now. Uh, we were running the uh, Nova Rossi, and I would so be on the OS, but I'm an old poor boy. I'm, like I say, I've been on disability, so I'm I'm giving it my best shot. I would do the OS. I'm an OS fan, but it's hard to turn down Mr. Buddy Shores. is all of about 15 minutes from my house. So, yeah, he's a good dude. So we have been running with him for years and years and years, and then Rhonda puts up that one for sale, and I said, well, that's a whole lot better than the Leak 5. I'll take it. So Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've said it for years. It, it's, I mean, there's a lot of good engines out there, and, and part of it is, I'm sure, because I have a lot of experience with both Novorovsky and OS, but for me – there's there's only two options when it comes to, to nitro engines. If you're the serious racer and you can afford it, there's no question you go with OS. If you're maybe not as serious or not going to travel as much and uh, your budget doesn't quite allow the Nova Rossi stuff, Nova and OS are the only two engines, at least Nova and OS-based engines are the only thing that I would spend spend my own money on. Um, now, like the Flashpoint engine, it's OS-based. It's reasonably priced. It's the same OS quality. It's awesome. The Ninja engine, same thing. It's OS-based. So OS manufactures and makes engines for a lot of companies. So when I say, you know, OS or Nova-based, it's as long as it's manufactured by them, you're going to be happy with it. The the Nova stuff doesn't produce quite as much power. It takes a little bit longer to break in, but overall it's a very reliable and uh, well-crafted and, and running engine for the price. So um, you, you pretty much can't go wrong with, with anything OS or Nova-based. Well, on the topic of breaking in, this will be the first engine I've ever had that was the factory pre-run what 
What will be different on the break-in procedure than normal? Normally, it's to sit there and idle and four tanks or, what you know, and then quarter throttle half. What This one has already been semi-pre-run. What would be my steps this go-around? Yeah, so pretty much whether it was, if it was broken in through, like, the EIS uh, oil bath break-in or if it's, like, the factory-tuned pre-run, it's, it's basically just run in enough to where it's safe and you can kind of skip those really painful first few tanks that you normally would have to kind of kind of get through uh, with an engine that's just brand new that has has no break in done to it. So you should be able to to pretty much preheat it, start running it on the track right away. And you're just going to want to be a little bit conservative with the high-speed needle. Bottom and mid should still be crisp. And just, again, be a little bit conservative with the high-speed needle so that when it's at a higher RPM, it's it's getting plenty of oil from the fuel. I didn't uh, ask her if, it, you know, if y'all had done the EBIS on it, but I do see taking it out of the box, it has the zip tie around the, around the throttle boot that some of the things that you normally do. So I was, that made me wonder, was it done with the EBIS? Uh, not real sure, but I'll still just, like you say, put it out there and just take it easy first few tanks. But yeah, again, it's, you wouldn't have to treat it as though it's, you know, even though it's a, a brand new engine, um, because it's, it's already slightly run in you'll be able to kind of put it on the track, start running, just, again, just be a little conservative. You don't have to basically go out and spend the whole day just blubbering it around the track and, um, you know, letting it wear in. Like, that's that's already kind of been done for you if it's uh, the factory pre-run engine. Right. And I guess the uh, last thing on the nitro side is, is I have personally – tried the three and the four shoe clutch and in, and really liked the running of the four shoe other than the early running of it you know the springs were given out pretty quick and i i saw the video where you said go to the three shoe spring and i have not done that yet because the other motor was was kapui on us and i was waiting to purchase one so uh i am thinking maybe go back to the four shoe on this one and just kind of thoughts what is there a huge difference from three to four shoe? Yeah, so with four shoe, it's just yeah, with four shoe, it's just a lot smoother power delivery. Um, you don't have as much stall or kind of like neutral drop feel. Where with the three shoe, it kind of revs, and then when it hits, it's it's pretty abrupt and violent. Which that would be okay in truggy, or if you're on maybe a really high grip track, but. The four-shoe clutch will just have a much smoother engagement, uh, more linear power band, and a little bit easier to drive, especially if it's kind of on a lower grip or kind of blown-out style track. And do you have a personal preference on, like, fuel? Ver some of the guys running 30 with 8%. Some of them run the – you know, the hobby shop just carries 30 with 11 Uh I'm pretty sure the performance get the track the true racers up here are gonna usually go with the lower oil content. Would you agree with that? 
Well, it's really difficult. You can't, like, you can't just say, yeah, you should always run 8% or you should run 9% or 11 because the quality of the oil is what's most important. If, if you have 8% of a less expensive, maybe not the greatest quality oil, and you bump it up to 11, it's still not that great. In my opinion. So um, that's where it's really tough, like, to try to compare different blends of fuel because, like, most of the companies, even if they go from 8 to 9 to 11, it's not the same oil from 8 to 9 to 11. It's It may be a full synthetic. It may be a caster synthetic blend. Um, it may be all caster. So it's... It's really difficult. I mean, a lot of guys, you know, they just say, oh, no, you got to have at least 9% or you got to have at least 11%. Right. And I don't, I don't really kind of play into that. I mean, that's, that's part of the reason why Flashpoint doesn't really disclose what our oil percentage is because you can't compare. So basically, 8% Flashpoint oil is not equal to 8% Byron's oil. Right. They're different oils. So... It's it's not like you're taking 30 weight shock oil from Flashpoint to Mugen to to Traxxas. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's not like there's a standard rating system for the oil. Um, so as long as you know it's you're getting good engine life, and um, if you disassemble your engine and and the wear looks good. And it looks like everything's coated well with oil, you know, you're you're good to go. I mean, and not only that, just you know, ask ask the local guys, you know, the the guys who have been doing it a long time, if they're if they're happy with a certain blend fuel, and if so, which which one from that manufacturer? Like for Flashpoint, we make two blends. We have an on-road blend and we have an off-road blend, and we try to do it that way just to make it simple. The off-road blend is basically developed by me. It's what I feel is the best um, the best blend for off-road. Period. Um, you know, compared to any of the other manufacturers out there, it's it burns super clean. It has really crisp power. It's safe on the engine, and the runtime's really good. Well, I would say, but, go ahead. But I couldn't really tell you what Byron's or Sidewinder is. I mean, yes, I've tested those fuels. I mean, I, I, it's been a little while, but I don't run them enough and haven't broken in engines and run them all the way through till an engine's worn out to, to say, hey, you should run 8% or 9% or 11 So if your, your local shop only carries Byron's, I would just ask the local guys that seem to be the most knowledgeable and – also the guys who seem to have the best running engines because most of the time it seems like the guy who's trying to sell you or push down your throat a, a specific blend of, of fuel or tire or, or whatever it is is usually the guy who has the most problems. Um, Isn't that fun? Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it seems like you know, the guy who's just kind of quiet and 
just does his own thing. And kicks everybody. He's confident. <laughs> he, yeah, he, he keeps his stuff running. And but to me, that's the guy you're. You know, you should be asking the questions to, not the guy who's rambling on, running his mouth online, saying, "Oh, you got to run this. This is the greatest. This is the best." Like, you know, it's like the old saying, you know, actions speak louder than words. So, you know, if if you see someone who's has good run time who has good results, who doesn't have many flameouts, and he's running a certain type of fuel or certain engine, you know, th- that would be the person I would talk to and try to get, get help from. Absolutely. Like they say, a Yugo is still a Yugo. <laughs> it yeah. don't matter how yeah. you paint it, put wheels on it, it's still a Yugo. Yeah. Well, let's see. Rounding third, headed home. Let's see. On the fuel, one last thing on the fuel. I have always heard, too, It's if you start with one type, like if you started with 30 and 8, stay with it. It's not good to then go 30 and 11. Or Is that the same? Is that more accurate or not there either? I mean, it's it's definitely not a bad idea to to kind of stick with one one fuel, but it's not it's not the end of the world. I mean, I, I've heard that too a lot of times. You know, where it's like, nope, if you broke your engine in with this, that's what you need to run. And like for me, traveling all over the world, there's times either I my fuel doesn't get there or I can't get it there because of customs and I have to run something else and everything runs fine. You know, yeah. maybe it's it's not quite as crisp as what I'm used to, or maybe I don't have quite the runtime that I'm used to, but it's not like you ruin your engine by putting something else into it. I think the big thing is just understanding that if you do switch from one manufacturer to another you are going to have to kind of retune the engine. You should kind of richen the engine up to start and, and maybe kind of take it easy the first couple tanks, let the new oil kind of coat the parts and and kind of creep back up on that race tune. Um, because I think sometimes guys will just go like, oh, man, I'm, I'm going from flashpoint to this and – they just throw it in. They don't retune it. They go out there, and, and maybe that other fuel can't be run as lean, and they cause some damage to the engine. So just just kind of back it off, be a little bit conservative, and then ease your way back up to, to race tune, and you should be fine. Cool. Well, all right, I got two two left. Any racing coming up, which I'm probably the Psycho Nitro Blast, but other than that, any races in the southeast coming up, like, bring the heat this year or anything out this way? Um, I would like to make bring the heat. I have to check the date. So if, if I remember correct, there's something else either that same weekend or, or really close to it. Um, I don't have, like I, I have my calendar kind of set, but that changes all the time. You know, I end up, I have it kind of set with the races that we're kind of planning to go to, but then there's always races that, something comes about and I end up going to a lot more than what I have initially set at the beginning of the year. So I'm, I'm sure I'll make it back for, for quite a few races. I just don't know, um, you know, the specifics for each one at that point, but I will be back for, for PMB this year. Um, that's, uh, 
that's coming up here pretty quick. Yeah, it's right around the corner. Well, in the last one being, uh, I asked Rhonda, and she said, well, just ask Adam when you talk to him. And so what would it take to one of these southeast races we see you at to make a little 14-year-old boy's dream come true and have the one and only Adam Drake? And I hate to put any more workload on you because I know you're super busy. But what would it take to get you to to fuel his car for a main? Yeah, I'm sure we could do that. I mean, it, it, we just got to make sure that it's not, you know, I'm back to back or, or something crazy like that. But yeah, that I don't I don't see that being a problem. Just um, you know, hit me up and we'll try to arrange it for one of the classes. Um, again, as as long as my schedule and my stuff's all ready for my races, it shouldn't shouldn't be a problem. Absolutely. Well, he normally runs the Nitro in the 15 and under class, uh, and then he runs Sportsman e-buggy. So I know he 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 runs pro at the you know our club races, but he usually doesn't do pro at at AMS. Where I don't think he's quite ready for that yet. I don't want him yeah. wrecking the main guys. And I mean he he's done it pretty good enough now to know when to get out of the way if if the leaders are coming up and. Stuff so I don't yeah. I don't think I would have him in your class but definitely if he's not back to back and just ask him for the main not all day just just something that just to make his little old dream come true yeah uh, yeah that'd be cool and I sure do appreciate your time Adam I'm gonna turn it over to you if uh, anything you want to say or your sponsors just uh, yeah rock. just yeah just thanks for thanks for having me on it was cool um, I actually listened to to the podcast that you and Rhonda did earlier today and, and pretty cool to be able to get me on here, uh, you know, a week later. And, uh, thanks to, to all my sponsors and the companies that I race for and work for. Um, you can see racing, OS, Proline, Bataba, ProTech, Amy and Hobbies, Flashpoint, Tekin, Stick at One Racing and Dark Side Designs. Awesome. Well, Adam, I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Uh, awesome episode. It was a blast. Thank you to the listeners for tuning in. Check him out online and at your local race. It's the one and only Adam Drake, and this is Real Talk RC Podcast. Talk to you on the next episode. When there's nothing left to say. will turn my back and walk away Then I hear you call my name I got nothing left to say